0: It's a pleasure to be with you guys again and to see familiar faces. So hello for those of you that we have met before. And if we haven't met and you haven't heard of our ministry, I encourage you. We have made, I think, close to 500 videos now on YouTube and counting. So I believe that our time as being able to have free speech is dwindling away so use it while we can um how many of you want to be an influencer yes all right that's good if you've never thought of yourself as an influencer they're kind of popular in today's world wouldn't you say you ever thought of yourself as an influencer I've been working on a project where we have actually flown around to many countries in the world, and we've interviewed uh, pretty close to 60 people for this new project that we're working on and and in lots of different um, faiths. And it's very interesting to me how few of them know anything about Adventism. That's interesting to me. Because if I understand Adventist theology and where we're going and what we're needing to promote in the world, I think we need to do a good job or a better job at being an influencer. So, I chose to use this topic here tonight uh, to really kind of tie into a couple of concepts that I'll be speaking throughout tomorrow and tomorrow afternoon and so they're all going to kind of tie into each other a little bit but tonight we're going to talk a little bit about influence and how to have influence how does it work and why are certain people influential in our world and what is that actually going to do for our christianity Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Lord, i just ask for you to speak your words here tonight. Thank you that the technology is working, and may this be to your glory and your honor. We love you in Jesus' name, amen. If I look up in the dictionary what an influencer is, Webster's will tell you this. It's one who exerts influence, a person who inspires, or guides the actions of others very straightforward. cambridge dictionary also says almost something to the same effect someone who affects or changes the way that other people behave now this is kind of interesting because for you that know who little light is and some of the things that I've been engaged in talking about media and its impact and how different messages in the world are influencing or affecting your behavior, this is a topic that um, I'm very interested in. I'm very interested in psychology, why people do what they do. And so you're going to see a little bit of some of those things in this presentation tonight. Did you know, I looked this up on the internet, that the average person, it is said, to influence around 10,000 people in a lifetime. How many people do you think you've influenced in your in your experienced life thus far? You ever thought about it like that? That's a lot of people. And I want to share with you a few examples of some pretty amazing people that have come up with some pretty interesting ideas and influence the world in fact i want to share with you a couple of people that we've been influenced by something that they did in their life so here's a example of this there's a guy named ignaz philip i'm not even going to say his last name because it's uh difficult to say but he was a surgeon and way back in 1847 there was a lot of people who were having childbirths and there became a overwhelmingly problematic death syndrome that they called the childbed fever they could not figure out why were people literally being born why were they dying at such a rate And so this particular man, he decided to to take a step back and observe what is going on. And he realized that the same people that were doing surgeries, they were coming into the surgical room with their garbs on, with blood all over them. In fact, they could see how many surgeons had done many surgeries throughout the day, and then they'd walk straight in and they'd pull a baby out. And he was the first one that said, you know what? Maybe we should wash our hands. You guys heard of this guy? Isn't it interesting that people laughed at him and said, no, what are you talking about? You're crazy. Here's another one Henry Denant. He was. Um, an observer of the atrocities that happened in the second italian civil war and when he wrote a book on all of the terrible things that war entails he was the first one that came up with an idea of saying maybe we should have a group that instead of taking life will actually go and save life and maybe we should protect those people And he came up with this concept at the Geneva Convention of basically having protection over any medical personnel. He was also one of the ones that started the Red Cross, and he was a Nobel Prize winner. Amazing, amazing the influence that this one person has had on the history of the world. Here's another interesting guy. This particular man um, worked for Volvo back in um, 1958. And I always find this very interesting because I grew up in the 70s, and I remember cars without seat belts. Anybody remember those days? Yeah, I had no problem climbing in the back seat of a car with zero seat belts strapped to you. And this man right here came up with the first idea of saying, maybe we should strap people in. And he came up with this three-point system that we actually use today. It saved millions and millions and probably billions of people's lives. My younger brother, he works in, um, he's worked on ambulances, he's worked in that company that will pick you up on the freeway, um, med- or Flight, mm, I don't remember the name of one of the companies, but the helicopter company that will pick you up. And uh, he says it is amazing how many people they still pick up on the freeway that don't wear their seat seatbelt. Isn't that amazing that even in our world today, there are people. But here's somebody that has really impacted and influences us. What about Noah? If you think about just the story of Noah, think about what he had done with his life. I mean, he preached every single day for a 100 years, spent all his time doing this thing that everybody thought was crazy. And if he was a preacher... How many people responded to his message? You would think by ministry terms, he was a failure, right? But you know what? We don't always, we don't always count failures as something that is a bad thing, right? If people have learned from it. How many of people have read this story since this has happened and has been blessed in their life? because of this. That man is still preaching today with what he did in his life, right? Matthew 5, 13 through 16 says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its savor, wherein shall it be salted? You need to be salty. I love how terms change throughout time, right? I mean, we, we, we don't really go around and, and, and take that as a compliment to be called salty, right? but we are to be the salt of the earth. Are you in your Christian walk today, influencing, blessing, sharing with other people? I hope that by the end of this presentation, you will get a a inspiration that you know what? You have people around you in your sphere of influence that you can be influencing today. I want to bring your mind back to the fall of Satan, because I believe that this has always been a war of influence. It's always been a struggle between influencing all of the groups around. Listen to what Spirit of Prophecy penned. All of the heavenly hosts were summoned to appear before the Father, and each case was determined. Satan unblushingly made known his dissatisfaction for Christ to be preferred before him. He stood up proudly and urged that he should be equal with God, and that he should be taken in to the conference with the Father and understood his purposes god informed satan that his son alone he would reveal his purposes and that he required all the family in heaven even satan to yield him implicit um, unquestioned obedience but that he satan had proved himself an un- unworthy place in heaven Then Satan exultantly pointed to his sympathizers, comprising of nearly one half of all the angels he examined. He exclaimed, These are with me. Would you expel these also? And to make such a void in heaven? And then he declared that he was prepared to resist the authority of Christ and defend the place in heaven by force and strength against strength. You know what? I hope when we get to heaven that we get an opportunity to see what happened can you imagine being in this meeting all of the host of heaven present God having to bring Jesus forward and explain his position to the universe can you imagine Satan standing forward and saying nope I believe I should be worshiped and I'm ready to fight What a crazy experience. But he tried to win the influence. I I wanted to bring this to your your remembrance because there's some things that I want to bring out over the course of this weekend. That what Satan was trying to fight against, listen to what his, his main claim truly was. Good angels wept to hear the words of Satan and his exulting boasts. God declared that the rebellious should remain in heaven no longer, and their high and happy state had been held upon the condition of the obedience of the law of God, which he'd given to govern the high order of intelligences. But no provision had been made to save those that should venture to transgress his law. Satan grew bold in his rebellion and expressed his contempt for the creator's law. Satan, this Satan could not bear. He claimed that angels needed no law. I wanted to bring that to your attention because there are going to be some things that we're going to talk about over the course of this week and some examples that I'm going to show you. Satan has always fought against God's law. So when you look at what is being influenced, what is being promoted in the world, what what are some of these these things that we have in our world that are pushing these agendas and, and these big things, what does that have to do with the law of God? I want you to kind of keep that in the back of your mind. Listen to what the pen of inspiration says, the happiness of the angelic host consisted in their perfect obedience to the law. Our world is grappling with what does it mean to be happy? In fact, how do we pursue and allow other people the pursuit of happiness, right? And God has proven to us and shown us time and time again that it is through obedience to God and his laws that we are truly happy. You want to be happy? Go back to the original um, things that God is asking of us. Listen to what patriarchs and prophets pens man was to bear God's image both inward and out in outward resemblance and in character. Christ alone is the expressed image, says Hebrews 1 3 of the Father, but man was formed in the likeness of God. His nature was in harmony with the will of God. His mind capable of compre- comprehending divine things. His affections were pure, and his appetites and passions were under the control of reason. He was holy and happy in bearing the image of God in perfect obedience to his will. Once again, we hear these concepts. How do we? Be happy where are we truly happiest that's in perfect obedience to God's will there's many examples of people that have had immense influence in the Bible I'm from this project that we're working on I am getting an interesting vantage point that there will be a day that you are going to have to stand up for what you believe. And what you believe may actually get you in trouble. I don't know if you guys have been paying attention to what's going on in the world right now, but we are speeding down this road. One of the the projects that we're working on, it's very interesting to observe that what these stories were in the Bible I may have to someday have this same exact experience. So, look at this. I always found this very interesting because, you know, Nebuchadnezzar understood something about influence. Here he's asking all of the princes and all of the people that he considered the influential people in the world, and here he's asking them to all demonstrate something social conformity together. Because he realizes the power what that's going to do to people's minds. Them observing all of the popular people doing this. And I know that Nebuchadnezzar didn't only take these three Hebrew boys. There must have been other Hebrews in that space right there. And so I always ask the question, if you were them and you were sitting in that, and, and let's just say for the sake of many of the people that were here in this room in Advent uh, hope were all there and maybe for whatever reason people didn't want to lose their life at this moment. How would you have responded? I really am curious because I think about my own experience and I say would I have been one of these three Hebrew boys? Listen to what happened because they stood up for their convictions. Daniel 3, 24 and 25 says, Nebuchadnezzar the king was astonished. He rose up in haste and he spake and he said unto these counselors, did we not cast these three men bound into the midst of the fire? And they answered and they said unto him, true king, true O king. Then he answered and said, Lo, I see these four men walking around in the midst of the fire and they have no hurt and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Now, I went back and I actually read this whole story. Those boys did not say when the king was questioning them anything about the Most High. They didn't say anything about what God looked like. The fact that Nebuchadnezzar recognized Why does that person right there look like the son of God? Means that there was something that those boys had either previously in their experience with the king. Somehow that king was aware of who the most high was. And it was brought to his understanding and remembrance. And listen to this. Very shortly, he says, you servants of the most high God come forth. That king was so upset That he was willing to sacrifice his own people to watch them get thrown into that fiery furnace. Many of his own guards died. And here he is turning immediately on a dime. And listen to what the king says. Nebuchadnezzar speaks and he says, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants out that have trusted in him, and who have changed the king's word and yielded their bodies that they might not serve or worship any god except for their own god. Listen to this very quickly. The king makes this declaration. Therefore, I make this decree that every people, nation, and language which speak anything amiss of the god God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut into pieces; their houses made of dung hill. And because there is no other God that can deliver after this sort, and then the king promoted them. So, what did the influence of those three young Hebrew boys do to that entire kingdom? It was huge. And so, I want to inspire you that even as little of an influence we may think we have around us, influence is very interesting. How many of you have heard of a person named Taylor Swift? You laugh because it's probably a very popular person, right? Right? So does anybody know or has seen before I show you this clip, Taylor Swift has been pointed out in the media for attending a particular football team does anybody know which football team okay right so this is something that is getting around and this particular person right here is a marketer and um, works for the university of michigan and so he's talking about this very interesting phenomenon of where somebody will go and do something that's popular in our world, and everybody thinks that because that person is such a popular influencer, that everybody else is going to follow suit. And it's very interesting what you'll see why he says this happens. Listen to this.
1: Influence is an interesting phenomenon. So we talk about the Taylor Effect. Essentially, we're talking about that her outside stature, her, her person, her celebrity has an impact on people's affects, behaviors, cognitions, and desires, and what we refer to as social contagion. And we've seen this demonstrated when she went to the Chiefs game last weekend and this past Sunday, uh, to support what we think is her rumored boyfriend, uh, tie-in, uh, Travis uh, Kelsey. And the idea was that when she showed up to the game, we saw a record uh, uh, increase in viewership, for a particular mm-hmm. demography of people, uh, but then also we saw like a four hundred percent increase in Jersey sales, to which we have attributed those consumption behaviors to Taylor Swift. But the literature tells us that maybe we have erroneously accredited her all the uh, uh, all the accreditation for that phenomenon, and that's really mm-hmm. what we're poking at here in this in this piece.
0: Okay, so. He made a very interesting statement there where he said, okay, this is what the popular opinion would be. This important person goes and does this one particular thing. And we can see in our media there is an actual boost in either viewership or, like he said, sales, 400% more sales of jerseys for the Chiefs. That's a huge markup. But what is actually going on right here? And so he kind of breaks down a little bit about some of these studies and going, what's going on right here? Is it really this one person that's doing this, or are they just a catalyst?
2: I'm not going to lie. All the press hasn't been good press on her. I was seeing a video this morning about uh, Chiefs fans. They were booing an advertisement of her. And I wonder, like, do you actually think Taylor Swift is even a football fan, or is she doing this maybe because she has a film coming out soon.
1: Well, there's a lot of intentionality that we can question, but here's what we do know that her showing up has definitely had some impact on consumption. Now, mm-hmm. why that impact is happening forces us to look at the science, and here's what the science of influence tells us uh, there's a study done in 1955 by Lazarville and Katz, and what they propose is that when it comes to influence, it's a two step model, and that is it starts with the mass media, and then mass media influences opinion leaders, and then those opinion leaders influence a group of people. So we see something through television, print, out-of-home radio, some mass media communications, and then it influences a small group of people, and then those people adopt the behavior and it reverberates within those groups of people. Later still, uh, 2007, as researchers, Duncan Watts and, and Dobbs, they re-examine this effect this two-step effect, what they realize is that it's really a network effect that's at place. That this two-step pe- effect happens, but then what really happens is that the network effect is people within a community, within a collective, they influence each other. And what their research has revealed is that it's not really the singular person, the Taylor Swift itself, that is the, 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 the catalyst or rather the, the force of influence. Rather, it's mm-hmm. people influencing other people. Actually, the research says that she isn't as the most influential person, is that she just has tons of influence on a particular group of people, and then it ripples out into the populace from there.
0: So I wanted to point this out to you because I want you to think about this. We often go, I don't have any influence over somebody. I don't have any, you know, big following or anything like this, right? But the more I kind of digested a few of these things that, that this marketer was saying, The more i kind of understood like you know what it's actually a collective group and that collective group together linking arms together and all having a particular viewpoint or something that's what ignites a fire you guys we are literally coming into a day and age where we know prophetically that the glory of the Lord will go around the world very rapidly. Right? But who ignites this? Think about this as your center or sphere of influence. Listen to, to, um, she she makes a little, he makes a little mention about um, what you watch. Listen to this. I,
2: I know you used an analogy with a pinball machine to describe Taylor Swift's influence. Can you explain what you meant by that?
1: Yeah, we typically think that influence is this big, massive stature of a person, and they do something, then everyone just uh, adopts behavior, sort of like a bowling ball going down an alley. It knocks over, you know, a a massive uh, scale of pins, but really what influence works like, it's more like a pinball machine where there is an idea, in this case, a person who takes on a behavior, and it starts to ricochet off different groups of people through these network connections, be it uh, strong ties and weak ties. And it bounces from from group to group, person to person, and creates what's known as um, complex contagion, where there's tons of redundancy. People see a lot of people like themselves do it, and therefore they're more inclined to do it. And I think that is the most impressive part about the Taylor Swift effect is not her being a bowling ball going through the alley, but instead a pinball machine that activates within a community that she's nourished that we know as
0: the Swifties. So we can kind of apply this in our Christian spheres. Instead of obviously us, us influencing or affecting some huge populace in the world You know what, it can just start like a little ping pong just around us. There's a um, interesting uh, social experiment on conformity, Stanley Milgram. um, In the 1933, he came up with this test. Maybe you've seen this kind of thing in psychology. And it was very interesting. He had a, a test where basically it was causing people to administer shocks to people. And the reason what sparked him wanting to see would people actually do it if they thought they were actually harming somebody because somebody told them to do it is because the trial of Adolf Eichmann, who was a German um, Nazi, uh, he basically was telling the courtroom, he was saying, look, I'm just following orders. I was just doing what I was told. Of course, that did not hold up into court, but that's what started Milgram's research. And so he took 40 volunteers and he created a phony shock generator where he basically had a group of people that um, were supposedly randomized. One would be the test subject and one would be the teacher and um, of course the teacher was always picked. And it was the, um, the test subject uh, or the, the person that was getting shocked was always um, chosen to be that and the person that was going to be the teacher was was supposedly thinking that they were random and this learner was asked to memorize a list of word pairs. And the participant, the teacher, was told that he would be testing the learner's recall of those words and he should administer an electric shock for every wrong answer, increasing the shock in a little bit. And they wanted to test and see. And so they were told if they ever stopped or wanted to stop, they said, please continue. The next level, they would say the, spirit, the experiment requires you to continue. The next level said that it is absolutely essential that you continue and you have no choice but to continue. And so each person is in administering a stronger and stronger shock. And here's what they found. Two-thirds of the participants, meaning the teachers, so those are the people that are, they're doing the experiment on, Um, ended up delivering a maximum of 450 volt shock. That's a very strong shock. And um, I think the electric chair is 500 volts if I'm wrong, right? I think the electric chair is 500 volts. So that is a very, very tough shock. And many of these people, even um, 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 two-thirds of them went all the way up to 300 volts, which is a very, very strong shock. And this is what they found. Obedience was highest when a person was giving orders or was nearby, um, the person was nearby that was perceived as an authority figure, especially if they were from a pr- prestigious institution. So all of these factors factored into people saying, I will disregard what I think is harming somebody because somebody else is asking me to do them. And they were influenced heavily because they thought that they were a um, authority figure or they were from some prestigious experiment or something. So conformity is a very interesting word. It describes how we adjust our behavior or thinking to follow the behavior or the rules of the group that we belong to. So here's an example of social conformity Um, this particular person is testing a group that came into the room and when they hear a beep they would stand up and then they would hear the beep again and they would sit down the first few people that are in the room are in on the experiment and so they are sitting and 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 standing based on information that they were told, but then they bring new people into the room that have no idea of the experiment, and they want to test how quickly will they conform to the group. Okay, so these three people on the left are actors. They know to sit down and stand up every time they hear
3: the bell, and we're gonna send in our first person who will be given no instruction at all other than just to fill out their survey, and will be placed next to, uh, to sit down. She follows suit. Again, perfect. Great, right. she's great. So now we'll get the next person in. And up.
4: Nice.
3: They must feel like they've missed an instruction, like the others have been told what to do and they haven't. Next.
2: And sit. <laughs> it's going to be inconvenient. I understand. So we'll see. And up.
3: Excellent. So now we're going to remove the three actors, leaving us with... A line of these poor ladies who have been given no instruction to stand or sit down with the bell. And we'll see if they're still now doing it on their own.
2: There you go. (laughs) The woman at the end not happy. This is
3: pure social compliance.
0: So pure social compliance. If you if you just observe, this is how human psychology really works we are subject to what everybody else is doing in the room. And I mean this in a, this is how we operate, but I want you to also think about this, if you are actually standing up for what is right, think about this. The more people see you do that, will that have an influence over them? When they had this particular study, Um, on social conformity. Um, They wanted to test what if the situation was dangerous? What if you thought there was an actual real fire in the room? How quickly would you get up and leave the room? And they wanted to test this. And so um, they've created a fake fire and then they brought some people in And they wanted to see how quickly would those people actually leave if they thought there was a fire, and then they were gonna change the the situation. Listen to this.
5: This hotel conference suite has been prepared for a focus group discussion on internet shopping. But all is not as it seems. We've been busy. The place is rigged with four hidden cameras and six concealed microphones and psychology professor Dominic Abrams is watching from our control room which we built in an adjoining suite.
3: Now it's just a question of sitting and waiting.
5: Right, so this is a questionnaire all about kind of shopping habits and everything here so I'll just move that off your chair. Our first participant is Mary Mizuno, a London student who thinks she's arrived early. What she doesn't know is that behind this door there's about to be a serious fire in the hotel kitchen or at least the illusion of one created by a smoke machine and some sound effects what will she do
3: Uh, she's now noticed the smoke and is concerned At this point, she decides to investigate, to find out what's going on. She's immediately taken responsibility for figuring out what to do.
5: Mary does the sensible thing and evacuates quickly. She even leaves her bag and coat. As I've never been in a fire situation before, I try to remember the kind of things that you're supposed to do. So I left my stuff and and just went out. But Mary was on her own. This time we've planted seven actors who are all in on the experiment. We've said to them, when you see the smoke, do nothing. Our second participant is Lauren Heffernan, also a student. What will she do?
3: In this situation, she'll be following a script. The script is partly written in her mind, it's a script which is borrowed from things like sitting exams. Most situations like this have some element of expected or scripted behavior.
5: But what will happen to her script when we make a slightly unusual situation very unusual? Nothing to start with, so we get her attention. Now, how long before she dashes out of the room?
0: So they put other people in the room, and then they want to know, how long is this person going to actually sit here? Will it be the same situation? Will they just get up and investigate and leave? Or does this change? based on other people in the room
3: (coughs) she's checking increasingly to see what the other people are thinking but who can she appeal to? the answer is nobody she turns to the norm of the group ignore the smoke in a real fire People in this group would be in very serious danger by now.
5: I was looking for some sort of reaction from someone else, even just the slightest little thing, that they'd recognise that there was something, you know, going on here. For me to kind of react on that and then do something about it, I kind of needed prodding.
3: (coughs) She's waiting for someone else to react. Why isn't anyone else reacting? She feels uncomfortable. She doesn't want to embarrass herself by taking the lead, taking action. But something is definitely wrong.
5: Lauren stayed in the room for 20 minutes after spotting the smoke, concerned but immobile. The fire brigade say that if this fire had been real, even if flames hadn't burned through the door, she would have died of asphyxiation in this time. In the end, we had to ask her to leave.
2: What about
5: him? I was surprised that I didn't do anything at all. I was just literally waiting. I just thought that someone else is surely going to say something soon. And because no one else did, I just didn't react at all. We tried the experiment 10 times and the same thing happened over and over again. If the person was on their own, they left quickly. If they were in a group of three or more, they stayed, rooted to the spot. The average length of time they stayed, 13 minutes.
0: 10 times the same thing happened. The reason they did this experiment was in London where this took place. They had a particular part of the mall that had caught on fire and every single person had time to get out of the mall. And there was one particular part of the mall that people died in there. And so they did this experiment to try and understand why did the people not leave the mall? They had time to get out of the mall. They had, everybody had time to get out. Why would they sit there and die? And when they understood what part of the mall that the people were sitting in there, it was in a restaurant. No one wanted to be the first person to get up and leave without paying the bill. And they paid for it with their life. That's human psychology. If we have everybody in the room doing something, maybe bowing down we don't want to be the only person standing up that's human psychology you can understand what a difficult situation is when you see some real-world experience like this and then you read the stories in the Bible and you go that was amazing what those three Hebrew boys did and see Nebuchadnezzar understands influence and it's pretty amazing Another story in the Bible that has an amazing influence is Jonathan and his armor bear. I mean, this is why I really hope that we get a chance to go back and read this or see the replay of the stories, right? I want to see what this was really like. But when I read the story, look at what happened in 1 Samuel 14, what happened to everybody else around because of the faith that these two boys did. 1 Samuel 14, 21 through 23 says, Moreover, the Hebrews that were with the Philistines before that time, meaning there was groups of people that were literally living with the Philistines that were like, ah, we don't want to be Hebrew anymore. We're going to live with the Philistines. Because they saw what happened right here, which went up to them in the camp from the country round about, even they also turned to be with the Israelites that were with Saul and Jonathan and likewise all the men of Israel which had hid themselves in the mountain. There was an absolute change of heart even in these people that were away. Why? Because somebody showed some incredible faith. Go back and read these stories and you you will even be more amazed when you read them knowing what human psychology actually does to all of us. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, 33, do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Now, I teach kids all the time these concepts. People go, ah, but it's just a movie. It's just a video game. Why are you making such a big deal about it? You know, what's very interesting who you're actually spending your time with is really influencing you in your life. If you don't think that's the case, look at just simply look at the advertising industry, how much money is generated because they put particular celebrities in particular types of clothing. That'll tell you right there are people actually influenced with what they watch. Proverbs thirteen twenty says, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. These are concepts that I tried to get kids to understand all the time. You spending time with this particular movie or that particular movie or this particular video game or that particular video game, you're spending time with that companion. That's like a companion. And in fact, people feel like they built relationships with some of these things. There's a reason why some of these celebrities are paid the type of money that they are. That would be ridiculous to pay these people exorbitant amounts of money if they didn't influence anybody, right? Do you know how much money some of these people are paid? Look at this. I looked it up on the internet. How much money are these people actually paid to make social media posts? Cristiano Ronaldo is paid almost $2.4 million for a single post. Oh, you don't think that post makes a difference hmm you don't think that that particular why would we pay these people this type of money in our world if it doesn't have an influence on people everything you see everything you taste everything you touch everything you spend time with has an influence over your life i've studied the advertising industry because i think it's a really great way to look at something and say what am i spending my time with i mean really if i literally just go minute for minute am i spending my time learning about the things of god or is it easier for me to spend my time checking out in an hour of this movie or this much time i just mean that is a reflective thought for you and so here is a, a very interesting study that they did, I believe, at Duke University. And they were talking about this study at Duke University with different particular products and things. Listen to this.
2: Coke is just soda, Tylenol just acetaminophen, and Levi's are just jeans. Yet consumers go out of their way to select these specific brands over others.
4: An economist would say, how is this possible? that a rational consumer would be willing to pay more for exactly the same thing. We love to think about ourselves as rational. That's not how it works. A very famous study done by colleagues at Duke University had flashed either the Apple logo or the IBM logo to two randomized groups of participants.
2: The study found that after being subliminally exposed to the Apple logo, compared to when you've been exposed to the IBM logo, participants performed better on creative tasks.
4: And the argument is that Apple has been telling you this story over and over again, that Apple is the brand for hip, cool, fun, creative people. This is the true
2: power of brands. They can influence our behavior in ways that extend way beyond the point of sale.
0: Okay, so the point I wanna point out here right here is brands understand that they can influence your behavior. Brands understand that. They talk about that all the time. You talk to anybody that's in sales or marketing, they will tell you that they know without a shadow of doubt they can actually change and influence people. If you wanna watch an interesting documentary, there's a a documentary on um, advertising called art and copy that really goes over all these different slogos like got milk where's the beef all those things and shows the actual influence that that's had on culture and changed and shaped us in america simply from a slogan from a commercial but here's something that i want to share with you that's fascinating that i learned from this particular marketer it isn't just that particular movie that's influencing you, it's even the clothing that we wear because a brand has a particular characteristic that they want you to do. Listen to this.
2: This is Americus Reed. He studies identity and marketing at the University of Pennsylvania.
4: When I make choices about different brands, I'm choosing to create an identity. When I put that shirt on, when I put those shoes on, those jeans, that hat, someone is gonna form an impression about what I'm about. So if I'm choosing Nike over Under Armour, I'm choosing a kind of different way to express affiliation with sport. The Nike thing is about performance. The Under Armour thing is about the underdog. I have to choose which of these different conceptual pathways is most consistent with where I am in my life.
2: And once a consumer makes that choice, their relationship with a brand can deepen to the point where they identify with the brand like family. And once you identify with a brand, it can shape the way you behave.
4: And it's really interesting because they will also, if someone talks bad about that product, brand or service, they will be the first to go out and defend. Why? Because an attack on the brand
0: is an attack on themselves. I mean, if you think about that, we have all these examples in our world that really do show the impact and influence of simple things like which brands we choose to make. Why wouldn't it make a choice where we choose to spend our time watching this particular piece of entertainment or not? And I know you guys have heard me hammer that over the years, over and over and over again. And I just, I I, I want you to really be crystal clear with that. That's one of the things that I really feel very passionate about because I believe that God is calling us with all the truth that we have, with all the blessings that we've been given. We need to be out there inspiring and influencing those around us. And instead, he's caught us on the monkey rat race, and following what everybody else's interpretation of your character should be. And I want you to think about that when you go home and you go, it's important that I pick up this book and I spend time with it. That I read it and that I really digest it. Because it's very fascinating to me when I I see all the truths that are coming out of this book and then I look and I pick up my eyes and I look at the things in the world and I go, wow, this book was so advanced so long ago. It's teaching us things that we have so much truth just bubbling to the surface today in our world with all the technology that we have. God has been telling us these things for a very long time. Brands, Often, we'll use tricks to sell you products. I want to just quickly kind of run through a couple of these because I want to talk about influence.
4: We wanted to learn how advertisers capture our attention and get us to buy stuff we don't even really need. So we turned to Jonas Sachs, an advertising executive and co founder of Free Range Studios, to explain a few ways brands get into our heads. How do ads tell us who we are or give us, tell us who we should be? We see 3,500 of them a day. And the majority of them basically tell us, you suck. And if you don't buy this product, you're not going to be rich enough, smart enough, hot enough. And so we walk around being told 3,500 times a day how deficient and lame we are.
0: Isn't that amazing? This is what's being spoken of in advertising circles. You know what this book is trying to do? This book is trying to tell you how amazing and valuable you are to the point that our Savior was willing to snuff out his life and not exist so that you have an opportunity to exist. And look at what's coming out of the world again and again and again. You are not worthy. You do not have this. You're not good looking enough. You're not rich enough. You're not this. You're all the negativity that we deal with all day long. I'm showing you that so that you understand what the world is grappling with, because this is a refreshment to the world. If we just go out there and share these beautiful truths with those around us, look at what everybody's being subjected to. Here's kind of some of the tricks, the way that they use to try and sell you these things.
4: Are there any ads that have stuck out in your mind? The number one most shared Advertisement on YouTube of all time is that Dove Real Beauty Sketches ad. Mm -hmm. They make the real beauty sketches. It's all about how women are so much more beautiful than they think they are through this stunt with a police artist who's sketching them. Tell me about your hair. They make a picture of what they think they look like versus what a stranger thinks. Kind of have a fat, rounder face. People are saying, listen, they're reaching hundreds of millions of people with a positive message about beauty. People want to share it because they say, oh, those are my values, that's my idea. And then you start buying the soap
0: because you share those values. So here's an example of them actually even using something that's very positive. If you've seen that commercial that Dove did, that was really just people have a poor self-image of themselves. And they wanted to show that other people actually see you as more beautiful and more valuable. And look at that. They, dis- they knew that people were starved for that kind of information. And so all of a sudden, they put that out there and they want to attach their product to it. But you know what that tells me? that we have a job to do, to go out there and tell people how valuable they are in God's eyes. Every single one of us can make a big difference in the world. I'm gonna just flash through here just because we're out of time and I don't wanna keep you guys here all night. Brad Pitt was paid seven million dollars for a ridiculous uh, commercial where he's literally just saying nothing. I mean, literally nothing. And they show you their thing, $7 million. I would have done it for six. <laughs> I'm just saying, why, why would they want him over me? I mean, because they know that if they put that man's face on it, that everybody will be influenced to go out there and buy those things, right? That's how all of this influence works. Tiger Woods was paid $100 million to wear the Nike swoosh. David Beckham was paid $160 million to put a tiny little one inch logo on his shirt. So here's what advertisements do to us. I've read this article in psychology today. It was very interesting. The reason that we accept advertising is because we assume that we can tune most of it out. In fact, if we don't pay attention to the ads, they won't have much effect on our behavior. Sure that, that the makers of the commercials can try and jack up the volume, but at least we can look away. This is what most people think about ads. And this is what they actually found out And this whole article in psychology today was about this. These results suggest that the most powerful effect of advertising is to just create a good feeling about their product surrounding it with other things that you like. It's also important to point out that that effective conditioning is most effective when you don't even realize it's happening, that is to say, trying to pay less attention to the ads you see on TV and in magazines, may actually make this type of advertising more effective. They found that if you're not paying attention, and you don't see that thing, that it actually sinks into you even that much more. So for all the kids that go, but I didn't see this in that movie, or I didn't get this message and you're pointing this out, but I didn't see it. It's there. And I'll tell you what, that tells me that if you aren't even paying attention to it, it's sinking into your mind that much more. Let me share this with you real quick and why I'm sharing this with you. I have always been very interested in the stories of ancient Israel. They had so much truth I mean, it's amazing when you look back at the amount of truth that God infused into that culture. Their alphabet told the story of salvation. Does our alphabet do that? If they dug in the dirt and they let the dirt rest or whatever for a certain amount of time, that told them some truth about God all their festivities and everything else, told them some truth about God. And it was amazing to me that in all that truth and surrounded by all those things, those people still forgot God. You ever wondered that? And here we pride ourselves in Adventist circles. We have so much truth. We're surrounded by it. In fact, information is not our problem, right? And so... I was always curious by why were all these Israelites leaving Baal? I mean, leaving God and chasing after Baal. Who was Baal? And so I looked up on um, Encyclopedia Britannica, and as I was trying to understand, well, what was it about Baal? This is what the Encyclopedia Britannica says, that Baal was known as... The Lord, Lord, they called him Lord, Lord. They said that he was the one that lived in the sky and that he was um, the God who rode upon the clouds and that he was the one that um, made the sunshine um, fall upon the plants and that he made the rain fall and that he was the one that made everything grow. And I was like, "Why? why are they attributing Baal to all of these characteristics of God? Because God made the sunshine. God made the plants to grow. God lives in the clouds. And God is known as the Lord, Lord, God of the heavens. They even called Baal that he was the Lord of the heavens. And then there was a, in their mythology, they had a particular enemy of Baal. And this particular enemy was a God named Mot. And he was a snake god. And this snake god was the god of, of death. And, um, and it was said that um, Baal came down out of heaven and had this battle with the snake god, dies, and Baal was resurrected back to life. And I said, that's really interesting. That they're attributing all of these attributes to Baal, but it really sounds like the story of God. I see the story of God in that. And so clearly in history, God did not want us to be telling the stories of Baal. And as I read on down through the Encyclopedia Britannica, it said that the worship of Baal, which was made popular in Egypt and later into the 14 BCE, 1400 BCE, um, through its influence with the Armenians. Um, who borrowed the Babylonian pronunciation Baal, the god ultimately became known to the Greeks as Zeus. And I went, hold on. Look at this logic here. Zeus, who's the god in the sky, who has this half god, half man, Perseus, who comes down, all these stories that are running through cultural time that are literally false versions of god and when i understood this as zeus who are who our zeus is in our modern world today is superman and so i went hold on we are still like ancient israel being tripped up by the stories that are coming out of false places we're still following after Baal. And many of our young people, they say, no, 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 you see, you see a false god. Oh, when I watch Superman, I see the story of Jesus. Go look at the history of this. Go look at where this stuff comes from, and you will be shocked to find that we are no different than what's happened way back then. The Bible tells us in 1 Timothy 4, 7, have nothing to do with irreverent and silly myths, but rather train yourself in godliness. So I want to leave you with this one idea. When I was on the plane ride over here this morning, I got on the plane very, very um, early in the morning from Chattanooga, Tennessee. And one of the people that was sitting in front of me was watching the Barbie movie. Now, I've not seen this movie barely even know what it's about. But I will tell you that I have done a tiny little bit of what is this movie about. And it was a huge cultural phenomenon in our world. Tons of people were watching it. And so here's article after article that talked about how many people's relationships were influenced because of the movie. Here is a Barbie movie that says that um, people decided that they, they were deeply moved by this film and all of a sudden they didn't want to be in a relationship with their significant other just from seeing this movie. And they decided to break up and break up. I mean, here's article after article. Why, why are people breaking up after going and seeing the Barbie movie? I mean, some of these articles would even say that this film has demonstrated such a cultural impact which will be felt for years to come. Article after article, all these different articles talking about this in our world. And I remember when this movie was coming out, There was a particular um, teaser that Warner Brothers put out. So I took a screen capture of the YouTube channel. So you can see this is coming from the Warner Brothers. And they had a image of little girls playing with their dolls. And all of a sudden, this new particular doll is introduced into um, these little girls' world. And they're so enamored and so fascinated by it that they decide that they don't want their babies anymore. And what are they going to do with the babies because they want this plastic world that God or that the world is trying to push on them? I'm hugely disturbed by this. Understanding what our world is grappling with at this point to even put imagery out in there of kids smashing their babies is awful. Awful. So for those people that don't think that we are influenced by what we watch, it is a constant reminder to me when I look at them and I say, be careful little eyes what you see. Be careful little ears what you hear. Because those things... Can ultimately impact you listen to this from christ's object lessons the life of christ was an ever widening shoreless influence with the influence that abounds to him to god and the whole human family through christ god has invested man with an influence that makes it impossible for him to live for himself do you know what the grappling with being able to destroy your own baby is to me That's you saying, I don't need to live for someone else. I need to live for me. It's my body, my choice. I want you to think about that. The second that I had children, the second that God gave me that opportunity, it was like I understood God on a level that I would not have understood him had I not had this experience. It's no longer me. It's we. And look at what the pen of inspiration is saying, that we should not live by ourselves. God didn't live to himself. Individually, we are connected with our fellow men and part of God's great whole, and we stand under mutual obligations. No man can be independent of his fellow man, for the well-being of each affects the others, and it's God's purpose that each should feel himself necessary to others' welfare and to seek to promote their happiness. I hope you'll come tomorrow to hear tomorrow's talk. We're going to talk about, does your Christianity, your theology, actually match your actions? That's a hard one for many people. And I want you to know that I believe God is calling us to some very high standards. And I believe that it's now is the time for us to understand how to make that connection of what we're actually reading and what we're actually doing in our lives. Let's pray. Dear Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we know that We have a lot of competing voices in our world, all vying for our attention. And Lord, you've you've asked us to be the head, not the tail. As a church, you've asked us to be on the front lines and to be in the forefront of demonstrating your love to the world. And So Lord, as you've asked for me to come and share some of these messages, Lord, may they be an inspiration to those that hear these messages, that they may walk away from here and want to see you shine through their lives and influence those around them. We thank you for giving us these opportunities. We thank you for your grace and your mercy. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse,